over these last few weeks, um, what we've been doing is we've been looking at this community of Israelites as they've come out of slavery, as they've come out of Egypt, and here they are entering the desert land. And we've been seeing how this community has been marked. And the hope and the prayer is, and God willing, uh, that we would have the same marks on our community. And so we looked two weeks ago that the deeds of God demand a deep response. And then we looked last week that God leads us into deep joy, principally the joy of our salvation, but also joy in the law, that he has given us a way to live our lives, to realign our lives to his so that we can stay in that deep joy. And this week, I want us to look at God's deep provision that is perfect. God's deep provision is perfect. Now, on the surface, our Bible reading today is very simple. There's a problem. Uh, they need food. God gives them food. And knowing that thousands of years later, Jesus was going to come along and he was going to say, well, God gave you manna, but now I am the bread of life. I fulfill your deepest and your greatest need. It's quite easy and simple. And the preacher would get up here and they would see, you know, here in Exodus, here is the problem. And then the ultimate problem is sin. And Jesus deals with that. And he is the bread of life. He is our perfect provision. And that is true foundationally. And so what I want to try and do today is unpack how. How is God's provision perfect? God provides the manna. Jesus says, I am the deeper bread of life for your salvation. How is it perfect for us today in London in 2020? And what we have to do is we have to understand the complaint. Yes, they are hungry. But the complaint is this. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's not just that we are hungry. It's that we're now wishing we were back where we were. Back being enslaved, back being beaten. There's a famous passage where they have to make bricks without straw. It's unimaginable conditions. And they would rather be there than here. God, our life was so much better before you intervened. And when we hear this complaint, we, we see that God's task is pretty massive. It's pretty massive to save them out of Egypt. It's pretty massive for humanity to save us from our sins, to send Jesus, to die for our sins. But actually, sometimes for God, an even greater problem are those that are following him. I don't know if you've ever thought in your head or in your heart, in the quiet of your soul, what has God actually done for me? I mean, I come to his church. I'm pretty awesome. And what has he actually done for me? It's as if I just wish sometimes I could just go about my day without ever thinking about God, without all of this stuff. So let's look. God's deep provision is perfect. How? God's deep provision is perfect because it's free. 
Right? That, may, that might be strange to say because it's so obvious. But what that means is, is that the rich get enough. They gather enough for that day. The poor gather enough for that day. Everyone eats and has their fill. Everyone. Everyone gets the same meal. Now, the quail, well, that was a common bird that was in the desert. It wasn't that extraordinary. It probably was miraculous how many were there at the time. But the manna, the manna, these these flakes, these manna, that is extraordinary. And everyone has enough. No matter the need, no matter what you have, no matter how you feel, no matter anything, God perfectly provides It's amazing that this church, on your way out, you can see there's a plaque in the entrance which says this church was built so that no one would ever have to pay to enter the church. No one. And the great thing about reminding us that it's free is that no matter what we bring, whether it's a lot or whether we feel like it's a small, it's materially irrelevant when we're talking about our salvation. That you and I, all of us, come together on equal footing because none of us had to pay more or less for the joy of our salvation, for God's perfect free gift. And so whether you have plenty or whether you have need, whether you have your health or whether you don't, whether you struggle financially or you don't, whether you're university educated or not, it is irrelevant Because we all come to God in the same way. The deep provision is free. It's a gift. No one can boast. So God's deep provision is perfect because it's free. God's deep provision is perfect because it's daily. Here's um, Exodus 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Daily provision is perfect because it stops us becoming our own saviour. Right? Because if we were allowed to just, if we were allowed to just keep it, you know what we would do. We'd store it up. We'd build a bigger barn. We'd put it in a bank account and we would see interest. No, it's daily. Daily we come to the Lord so that you and I both know this is not, we can't do this on our own. And they've already been saved. You and I have already been saved and salvation has occurred and now we come daily. Now I know that there are people here who are struggling in life struggling, some of us, to hold on to reality, struggling to hold on to to living and food and friendships, struggling, some of us over these last few months, struggling to hold on to faith itself. And this is a place for people struggling. We will stop being the church if we start pretending that we are all fixed. This is a place for those who are broken, whether they know it or not. That being said, the default position in the West, which is exasperated by being in London, is I'm not broken. I'm not a sinner. I don't need fixing. I fix myself. 
Now, COVID, I think, has begun to unravel that a little bit. But at the heart, the issue is I have no need and I certainly don't have a need for God. Many of you I know work in professions where that is the default idol. If I work hard enough and I invest in the right way, I'm going to be okay. And what's happened is, is and, and you've seen it, is this, this idea has slowly infiltrated the church over many years. And so the church has often become this kind of like, well, we can do it without God. We talk about God, but we don't go daily, I need God. He is the ultimate bread of life in my life. And God allows us to need him to provide for us daily in order to perfectly provide. Because our default position is, I can do this on my own. I don't really need God. And if that were true, then his gift would be imperfect. But it's not. God's deep provision is perfect because it's daily. So God's deep provision is perfect because it's free. God's deep provision is perfect because it's daily. And God's deep provision is perfect because it's his. God's deep provision is his and his alone to give. You read through that passage in Exodus constantly. It's I will provide. I will provide. You will know I gave it to you. You see, at the heart of the provision, God's truest and deepest desire is for his people to know he is their God. In order to know meaning as a created being, humankind, we must know the creator. Or as St. Augustine, Augustine put it, when we know God, we can know ourselves. The great mistake is that you and I, we can make our own purpose. We can make ourselves. We can, we can make our own understanding. We can make our own world and reality without God. And yet it is God who says, come to me and you will find true and total contentment. True and total completion. In this passage, he's not hidden, right? They haven't come out of their tents all this manner and quail. It's like, who did this? It's not like Santa. Oh my goodness, who did this? God says, I'm giving this to you so that you know I am your God. The whole point of the manner is to show his people who I am. I'm reconciling you to myself. The whole point of Jesus dying on the cross is to reconcile us to the Father. That's the whole point of the gospel, of the good news, is that you and I are reconciled to God as Father. Now, how did he do it? Well, he defeated death. He paid the price for our sins. He saved us from hell. But all these things are true. But the principle, the most important part of the gospel is we have been reconciled to God. He is knowable. It's not just like Jesus is on the cross. We've been given this great gift. It's like, well, now where do I look? God in heaven is saying to me as father. That is the perfect provision. And because it's his to give. The giver of the gift is so much more important than the gift. So God's deep provision is perfect because it's free, because it's daily and because it's his. 
Now, there might be for some of us here, you've, you're hearing this and you're like, I've never known God as my great saviour. Literally, what he's talking about is the most foreign thing I've ever heard. He waves his hands around a lot. It just seems this is so bizarre. Can I encourage you? Maybe something has been stirring in you over the last few minutes or stirring over you this last season of our lives, these weeks and months. But you know deep down, as I've been talking, that's not me. That's not how I view God. That's not how I view Jesus as saviour. That's, that's not how I view any of this. When I pray, when you pray in the quiet of your heart, in your bedroom, you know deep down, I'm just praying to something that I hope some kind of being out there or some strict God that I was brought up to kind of understand. But actually, when he starts, when you're hearing me talk about God as Father, you're like, that's just not me. In Romans 8, it talks about how we're not to come to God as some slave and master. Our hearts are meant to cry, Abba, Abba, like, like Daddy, Father. And you know, you know, that's not me. Can I, can I encourage you to make the decision to say, yeah, I, I don't have all the bits in place, but I do know this. I do know that I want to be reconciled to God as Father. I do know that I need a saviour. Make the decision. And in a moment, we're going to have communion together. And make the, as you put the bread in your hands, make the decision, I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm turning to God as Father and Christ as Saviour. Now, the majority of us, though, aren't Christians. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we get the most out of the deep, perfect provision that's offered to us? And I want to suggest that we take the principles of this passage and we place them into our own lives daily. Daily they came out to gather the provision of God. Daily you and I should come to the true bread of life, to Christ, to satisfy the hunger of our souls. Daily. You and I, we don't live in yesterday's manner. You and I, we don't live on last week's manner or last year's manner. Some of us will have um, walked past Elephant and Castle, uh, and there's a famous church, uh, um, and Charles Spurgeon used to be the vicar there, or pastor there. And um, this is how he, um, he described it. Do not live on last year's manner. Stale experience of poor food. I know no dish that is worse than cold experience. You need to have a daily realization of the things of God. Christ knew that his followers would be stupid. And I say that about myself. He gives us, the, the, the apostles go to him and say, how should we pray? And what, is, what does he say in the big prayer that he knows that throughout generations, this will be the prayer that everyone knows. Give us today our daily bread. He knew at the heart of, of our faith that we would try and turn away. And he's reminding us, turn to me, daily come to me. 
Come to me for goodness and for grace as the water of life, as the bread of life. Feed on me. For some of us, it's not even daily. We need it hourly. Feed on me and feed on me through the scriptures and feed on me through prayer. I mean, if we really want to push the imagery of, of this chapter in Exodus chapter 16, you know, these people are not going to a fancy restaurant and ordering. They're not going to a really nice buffet and just going like, oh, I'll have the lamb. They're getting on their hands and knees so that they would be provided. Christians, how often, how often do I, how often do we get on our knees in the quiet place and ask God to intervene in our lives? to transform our hearts, to be at work in us. Every day, scripture and prayer, daily, daily read something. If you're sitting there going, oh, this is just all sounds too much for me. You know, I'm not going to sit. I don't have two hours to sit and read the scriptures. We'll just start with the Lord's Prayer. If you started with our Father all day tomorrow, when, you, when you're in between meetings, when you're on the commute, when you're on the loo, just take a moment to consider and reflect and meditate on those two words, our Father. And I promise you that you could spend the rest of your life looking and searching for the truth and the depth of those two words and you'll never find it. Our Father. Suck the marrow out of everything that God has given to us. Or prayer every day. We've been having since March, and can I just say, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, okay? I know that technology and I know timings don't work, but every day since March, we've been meeting Monday to Friday, 8.30 on Zoom, for 15 minutes to pray. I'm now at the stage where that 15 minutes changes the whole trajectory of my day. I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better boss, I'm a better everything. If I don't have that, my whole day is just desperation and I'm catching up. Find 15 minutes just to pray and realign our hearts. I know 8.30 doesn't work for every single person, but find a time every day to come. Come to the Father, come to Christ, God's deep provision is perfect if only we take it. Now, I just want to come at this a whole other angle. And this might seem really strange. And some of you are going to sit there going, I have no idea what he's talking about. And what that means is I'm preaching to myself. I'll preach to a few of you and to myself. But for the rest of you, you can just... Um, Chill out if you don't know what I'm talking about. But in, in verse 3, it, it begins with this. If only, if only we had died. And over the next four months, especially, there is going to be a lot of if only we were in pre-COVID days. Those glorious days with no masks, where we could sit near people, when it was fun, if only, if only we could go back to those glorious days. Now, what I don't want to do right now is to spend the next hour unpacking why COVID is here and what and any of that and why God is allowing all these things to happen. I don't want to get into that. But the foundation of where I kind of stand is that I trust in a sovereign God 
who works all things for those who love him. Even in the midst of we don't get it, in our finite mind, we trust in this sovereign Lord. So we have to ask, what could God be doing in his church? What could God be doing right now? And let me, let's take worship as an example. Many of you will know about the persecuted church. Many of you have seen videos or heard about the persecuted church. And when the persecuted church come together and when the New Testament church come together, it seems that worship, especially sung worship, but worship was a necessity of living. They gathered with other believers in, in secret and it would restore their souls. There seemed to be this debt. And in the West, and I include myself in this, gathering has become, has, it seems to be about preference and experience. The experience of coming together to sing songs of worship together. And whether you like the new songs that are coming out or whether you like the old school belters, it all depends on, on, on your preference. But the great heresy of the modern church is that worship is about us. And so we pick churches that are our preference or give us the experience that we want. It's just something that I've noticed in my heart and, and other churches. And if God wanted to, because the problem is throughout history, the church has done that. And when it's become about ourselves, they've just gone way offline. And say that God was up there going, why are you making it about you? If you make it about me, it will be better for you. And if God wanted to realign us as a church, local, national and international, if he wanted to realign it, he'd have to totally strip away church as we know it. And ask us, do you still worship me when you can't sing? Do you still worship me with your face covered by a bit of cloth? If we truly believe God brings deep provision perfectly, we have to ask, what is he doing now? And right now, he's taking us right back to the heart of worship. There's no getting around it. This is church. And God's asking us, do you worship me? Or is it your preference and experience? What about community? Everyone here, everyone that's been part of a local church will go, community is such a big thing. We can't even hug each other anymore. What if God is doing something new? He's not just kind of taking us out of, well, let's see each other on a Sunday. Now we're going to have to be, well, what about, what does meals, what does sharing our lives look like? God is realigning us and to shake it up. The only thing that God would be able to do is to have a condition where it's impossible to just continue as we're going. And that's exactly what has happened. What about in the West where Sunday services can so often be this kind of fix to start our week. How would we know if that's an issue? Well, of course God tells us to gather together. But the thing is, when we replace God with church, and the most important part of our lives is church, not God, then we are out of balance. 
And it's going to be very easy over the next four months to go, if only. And you and I, we are going to totally miss what God is doing now. What God is doing now. And the only way we're going to get through what is to come, and it's going to be a really crazy few months, the only way that we can get through what is to come is to go to God daily. This is a moment in church history, not just history, but in church history, where we don't need to look back and go, if only, but ask God, what are you doing now? What are you teaching? What are you moving us into? How are you moving us into your deep perfect provision he says come to me come to me daily final thing as we land verse 32 and 33 this is what the lord has commanded take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread i gave you to eat in the wilderness when i brought you out of egypt so moses said to aaron take a jar put an omer of manna in it then place it before the Lord to keep it for generations to come. Here is something that is tangible so that you would remember what I have done. Christ gathered his disciples and he broke bread and he poured wine and he said, do this in remembrance of me. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship through song and then we are going to do just that. We're going to remember. So can I invite you to stand? I'm going to pray. David and the band are going to lead us.